speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 33 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, I am going to be looking at the next two episodes of The Adventures of Superman, starring George Reeves. And it's going to be an interesting contrast this episode because I'm going to be discussing two episodes that I have opposite feelings for. For instance, the first episode I'm covering on the show will be The Dog Who Knew Superman, which which I will admit is in one of my bottom five episodes. And then I'm going to be talking about The Face and the Voice, which is in my top five. So so we're going to get an episode that I don't like, and then we're going to get, a, get an episode that I like. So it's going to be a, an interesting contrast for this week's show. But before we get down to business, I have some listener feedback to attend to. This is from friend of the show, Dave McElvaney, my most prolific emailer, and really to date my only emailer. So the rest of you, if you have anything to say, send it over to me at manscreen at gmail.com. Dave is discussing the Man of Screen podcast episode 29, which was the first episode in which I discussed season 2. And it was almost hard to believe that I'm suddenly covering episodes 9 and 10. It feels like I just started with the second season. So, anyway, Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. A good episode as usual. I'm looking forward to your take on the second season of The Adventures of Superman. I agree with you that this season was something of a transition from the noir first season and the kid-friendly later seasons. At one point, you mentioned that Inspector Henderson, portrayed by actor Robert Shane, seemed to appear less in this season than in others. According to Wikipedia, he appeared sporadically in the early episodes of the series, in part because he came under House Un-American Activities Committee scrutiny and was briefly blacklisted on unproven and unspecific charges of association with communism. Just gonna... If you remember when Bob Fisher and I covered The Human Bomb, we discussed the absence of Inspector Henderson and the addition there of Deputy Inspector Hill, who pretty much functioned as a stand-in for Inspector Henderson. That part of Hill was originally written for Henderson, but Hill was written in when Robert Shane was unavailable for this very reason. Now, I'm not sure what the reasoning is in Season 2. It's possible that he was still having issues with the committee, but it would just seem strange that Henderson would show up just for a very short bit and then move on again. But anyway, back to Dave. As the program evolved, especially in the color episodes, he was brought into more and more of them to the point where he was a regular on the series. One of the many victims of the Red Scare of the 1950s. Live long and prosper, Dave. Well, thank you, Dave, for your email. And this is in line with some of the things Bob and I have spoken about when we've talked about Robert Shane and what Bob has said. And, and when I'm sure he's read that somewhere. Many of the actors on the show, especially George Reeves and some of the crew, really went to bat for Henderson and made sure that he got his job back despite the Hollywood blacklist. So it just goes to show that the Adventures of Superman cast and crew was very loyal to one of their own. So, And that's nice to see in any workplace. If you have a decent camaraderie with your co-workers, whether you're in a TV show or working at a newspaper or anything, it's going to go a long way to making that work environment much more pleasant for you. With that being said, I would like to thank Dave for his letter, and then I am going to take a quick break. I'm going to play a promo, and then we're going to come back with The Dog Who Knew Superman. Hang around, folks. 
As superhero movies are becoming mainstream entertainment at theaters around the world, comic fans also have plenty of heroic action on the small screen to keep them sated while waiting for the next blockbuster. We are in a golden age of superhero television shows, with plenty of offerings from both the Marvel and DC universes, and the trend shows no sign of slowing down. To chronicle these recent shows and even examine some of the classics, we are proud to present Weekly Heroics, a two true freaks guide to heroes on TV. In every podcast, we'll be doing recaps of individual episodes of one Marvel show and one DC show until we catch up to them or some supervillains shut us all down. My name is Scott McGregor, and I'm the fastest podcaster alive. That's what she said. And I'm Chris Tyler, one of your agents of cool. To bring you this podcast, we each have to become someone else. We each have to become something else. Two, two, All right, welcome back, folks, and we're going to go right into The Dog Who Knew Superman. Original broadcast date was November 9th, 1953, which, ironically enough, is my birthday. Kind of ironic that one of the episodes I liked the least was originally released on my birthday, 27 years before I was born. If you're interested, do the math. Anyway, this episode was written by David T. Chandler and directed by Tommy Carr. Guest cast included Ben Weldon as Hank Carey, Donna Drake as Joyce Carey, Billy Nelson as Louie, Jack Daly as the dog catcher, and Lester Dore as the man at the well. And now for our synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. A group of people is attempting to rescue a dog named Corky, who is trapped inside a well. Corky! Corky! Poor Corky! Lady, lady, please, if you don't step back and give us a chance, we'll never get your dog out. A simple thing I ask you. Stop the car and take the dog for a walk. So where does he walk? Right smack into the bottom of a well. Well, can I help it if you got a stupid dog? Ooh, you should mention stupid. And you know something else? I don't think he walked in. I think you pushed him. Oh, chicken. How can you say anything like that? Because it's true. That's why I say it. Didn't you? Didn't you push him? Didn't oh, you? All right, all right. So I give him a little shove, maybe. I think maybe he's thirsty. Oh, how could I marry such a hammerhead? Daily Planet reporter Clark Kent has arrived on the scene, seeing that Superman is needed. Removing his civilian garb, the Man of Steel digs a tunnel and exits with a wet corky in his arms. Give him to me! Give him to me! <laughs> corky, are you all right? Give him to me! He's mine! Corky, baby! That dress cost me 200 grams! I ought to send Superman a bill for helping you ruin it. Oh, shut up and put his leash on. Uh, Come on, Corky, baby, you just stand here. Quiet, Corky. Just a minute, baby. That's a good boy. He doesn't like you anymore, Orders, orders. That's all we got to do. Oh, shut up and let's go. Yeah. What's the matter with you, you crazy mutt? Stop picking on him. Think you've never seen a glove before? Oh, throw that dirty thing away and let's go. Oh, gosh, you're always telling me what to do. Corky is now safely home, but this lasts only a few minutes. Hey, boss, where you been? He's been out trying to drown a dog. That's where he's been. You mean Corky? Boss, you shouldn't have done a thing like that. Don't tell me what I shouldn't have done. Oh, lay off. Real big guy, you. You're afraid to pick on anybody but Louie and Corky here. Who's afraid? You're afraid. Yeah? How did I get control of the biggest bookie syndicate in Metropolis? What would he tell you? Well, uh... I'll tell you anyway. Before he died, my old man used to run the syndicate. You married the boss's daughter. That's how you got control. Gee, just like in the movies. Shut up, stupid. 
I didn't marry the boss's daughter. I married the boss's daughter's dog. Leave him alone, you big brute. Someday Corky's gonna bite you. Only he's afraid of getting hydrophobia. Did he hurt you, baby? Come on, lie down for me. You come on, get in your bed, Corky. Now lie down. Mommy's gonna get you a nice big bone. You stay right there. Louie, open the door. And let all the flies in. Open the door. Boss, sometimes I don't think you like the little pup dog. Not sometimes. All the times I don't like him. Now, here we are, Corky. Hey! Where's Corky? Uh, baby, this time it ain't my fault. You left the door open when you come in. You mean to say you let him get away again? Corky! Why didn't you watch him? Why didn't you watch I him? I can't watch him all the time. You got one more chance. See, just one. I want you to go put an ad in the Lost and Found. I want it in every paper in town. In the Planet, in the Blade. Every paper in town. But, I'm... baby, it's going to cost money for me to do that. Move! And if I don't see that ad in the paper yeah, by I know, tomorrow... I know. Corky has made his way into Clark Kent's office. <laughs> Take it easy, Corky. <laughs> Take it easy. I like you too, but this could be very hard to explain. It certainly could. Maybe the animals are starting to be kind to human beings a week. Uh, yes, that could be. Uh, get down, boy. Get down. Oh, Clark, how can you be so mean? You suppose he thinks you're somebody else? Oh, could be. Uh, go on home, boy. Now, go on. Go home. Clark, he took one of your gloves. He's welcome to it. It just leaves peaceably. I lost the other one anyway. Clark, how can you be so utterly heartless? Lois, you don't understand. You want to know something, Mr. Kent? At this point, no. I don't think you're rid of that little dog by a long shot. Word has spread all over Metropolis about Hank Carey offering $5,000 reward for Corky because he can lead the gangster to Superman thanks to Clark's glove. Louie has even agreed to give Clark the newspaper story about it. Kent speaking. Mr. Kent, this is Louie. Louie? Yeah, you don't know me, but I know all about you. You do people favors, that's why I'm calling. Got something to tell you about a dog. A dog? Well, what is it, Louie? Well, my boss told me to spread the weight around, and I figured the best way to do it was for you to write a story. What uh, kind of a story? About the $5,000 reward. That's what he'll pay to get the dog back. Uh, Louie, uh, who is this boss of yours, and uh, what kind of a dog was it? Well, he's a little furry dog. He almost got drowned in a well, except he was saved by Superman. Uh, Louie, I'll tell you what, you better come over here to the office. You can tell me the whole story and we'll see what we can do about it. Maybe I better. I get confused on telephones and sometimes I run out of dimes. I'll come right over. Well, fine, Louie, I'll be waiting for you. Lois, what would you say if I told you that little dog was worth $5,000? I'd say you were crazy. So would I, but that's the story. Hello, boy. Quick, Mr. Kent, go ahead and turn in the traveler's checks. Well, where did you come from? Hank thinks the dog is worth the money after seeing him in front of the Daily Planet building. Now, Lois, Jimmy, and Clark are trying to find a safe place for the animal while they attempt to put the pieces of this mystery's puzzle together. Secretly, Clark is afraid something will happen to Corky because the dog knows that he is Superman. Jimmy is taking Corky to the canine kennels on Harper Street. Hank, Joyce, and Louie learn this when they capture and blindfold the cub reporter and make him take a lie detector test. Once Carrie has Corky, the dog will lead him to Superman. Because that dog is going to lead me right to Superman. Superman? You're nuts. Listen. Remember how crazy he was about Superman? Yeah. 
Remember that glove I found by the well? I guess so. Just take a good look at this one. Looks like the mate. Still think I'm crazy, huh? Well, I'm betting 5,000 bucks that this belongs to Superman and Corky knows where to find him. What if he does? What good's that gonna do you? I'll tell you what good. As soon as I find out who Superman really is, his real identity, I make him a deal. I keep it a secret, he promises to lay off my syndicate. Get it? You know, honey, even my old man would be proud of you today. Well, get going. What's holding you back? Nothing. Nothing, boss. I'll get the little pup dog. Yeah, and be sure you bring him back. What about him? Don't worry, chicken. I got plans. Thinking he was helping Superman, Louis has placed Corky in a dog catcher's wagon. Should the animal be taken to the pound, there is a possibility he will be killed if nobody claims him. Superman has found Corky, and the dog catcher has his hands full with some dogs that escaped from his truck. Superman! What are you doing here? Well, that brown dog. Another one right there. It doesn't belong in there. Why don't you leave dog catching to the dog catcher? But you didn't catch this one. Someone must have put him in there. Besides, he's got a license. Yeah, you're right. He has. So you can give him to me without breaking any rules. I guess I can. You know, you can't even run a peaceful dog catching business anymore. Corky, hello. You know, for a little dog, you certainly cause a lot of trouble for one day. <laughs> now, Lois is watching over Corky while Clark Kent is out. Clark, I thought Jimmy took him to a kennel. Oh, you're supposed to. Incidentally, where is Jimmy? Well, I don't know, don't you? Clark Kent, what are you up to? Nothing, Lois, nothing at all. What's wrong with a man owning a dog? For some very mysterious reason, this dog happens to be worth $5,000, and I think you know why. Oh, Lois, will you do me a favor? Watch the dog for me, will you? I'll be back in about an hour. Where are you going? Well, I've got some things to attend to. I want to get some dog food, too. With that kind of a price on your head, you should at least be able to speak. What gives with you and Clark? Huh. So you won't talk, eh? Mr. Kent, this dog must be twins. And where have you been? That's what I want to talk to Mr. Kent about. We just left. Didn't you see him? Oh, I must have passed him on the elevator. He'll be gone for over an hour. What happened, Jim? Tell me. Well, I don't know everything. But after I took the pooch here to a kennel, I was kidnapped. Kidnapped? By whom? I don't know. I was blindfolded all the time. But they took me someplace, asked me a lot of questions, and somehow they found out what they wanted to know. But how'd you get back here? Well, they figured I couldn't identify them or didn't know where I was, so they dumped me out in the country. If you only knew where they took you. I think I do. But you said you were blindfolded. I was, but if my hunch is right. Come here, fella. Here's his license number. Phone the police, trace the owner of this dog, find out where he lives. I'll bet the guy that owns this dog is the same guy that kidnapped me. Jim, you have just been elected for the Genius of the Month Club. Lois has brought Corky to Hank Carey in exchange for the story on why he wants a dog so badly. Oh, pardon me, but... Corky, boy! Oh, boy, Corky, I'm... Oh, excuse me, miss, but it's just that I'm so glad to see him again. You know how it is. Uh, not exactly, but I'd like to find out. I'm Lois Lane of the Daily Planet. How'd you know where to bring him? Oh, I heard about the reward. I ran across the dog and just took a chance. Actually, he led me to the door. Uh, okay, I'll send you a check to the office. I'd uh, much rather have the story on why you want the dog back so much. Okay, go ahead in. Thanks.
There you are, miss. Everything's ready for his homecoming. Nothing but the vest. Does that answer your question? Frankly, no. Look, lady, I'm fond of this mutt. I love him. It's as simple as that. He's just like my own canine brother. You can buy an awful lot of canine brothers for $5,000. Look, you wanted a story, lady. That's it. I'd advise you to get back to your office and write it. But I... I said beat it. Now that you put it that way, perhaps I'd better leave. Corky is hot on the trail of Hank Harry's quarry. The dog's barking warns the approaching Clark, giving him time to become Superman. Are we getting close, Corky? Are we getting close? There's nobody here. What are you trying to do, you stupid mutt? Find Superman. Go on. What's the matter? You wanted to find Superman, didn't you? Now you have. Yes, but I, I, I didn't want to find him this way. I might have worked at that if it hadn't been for Corky. He warned me by barking. Well, I knew I couldn't trust you, you stupid mother. Let go, will you? Get him off of me! Anything you say, my friend. Come on, boy. <laughs> Looks like he's going to be hung up for a while. Can't, you can't leave me up here. Get me down from here. <laughs> Don't worry. There'll be a couple of policemen along, and they'll let you down real soon. Come along, Corky. Shall we go? Corky will return home to Joyce. You know, Corky, Hank's going to be in jail a long time for trying to kidnap Jimmy. So he won't be around to bother you. Joyce loves you, and she'll take good care of you. But I can't keep you, pal, because you're the only one in the whole world that knows Superman's true identity. And that's a secret that we have to keep between the two of us, don't we? So be a pal, will you, and go on home, much as I'll hate to lose you. We'll just keep it between us, huh, Corky? Go on home, boy. What's the matter, Clark? You look as though you lost your best friend. Maybe I have, Lois. Maybe I have. Before we get into this, uh, this episode is based on a subplot in the comic story, Supermanor, which was printed in Action Comics number 179, cover dated April 1953, which, together with this television episode, later formed the basis of a comic story. The Dog Who Loved Superman, and Superman number 88, which was published in March 1954. Because obviously, this story needed to be retold in comic book form. Alright, I am going to be blunt with you folks. I don't like this episode. I was kind of grumbling when I got to it. It took me a while to sit down and start watching this episode. Because, quite frankly, it is stupid. And it's not because there's a dog in it. Story doesn't work. The identity crisis is... Forced, there is no reason to suggest Corky knows that Clark is Superman. At least to me, the storyline doesn't seem like it works. But we're going to get into that. But I have nothing against Corky, or a dog being in a Superman show. Although it does seem to follow that trope from all those animal movies that we like to see, where 
person, normally a kid, meets an animal. The animal has a profound impact on their life, helps them learn an important lesson and become a better person. Animal has to go back to wherever it came from, and human is sad. That's pretty much here, even though Corky doesn't really help Clark become a better person. Clark is already the best person he can be, but Corky comes into Clark's life, makes an impact on it, and then he leaves. It's a storyline that's been done a ton of times, and quite frankly, it just bores me. Let's get into this, shall we? We do start off with a nice shot of Corky behind the title card. I'm not entirely sure what kind of dog Corky is. Maybe some kind of terrier. I mean, he might be a little big to be a terrier, but I don't know. Maybe some kind of mutt. I don't know. Ben Weldon here. We've seen him before in The Mind Machine. He plays Hank, and we'll see him quite a bit. And right from the get-go, Hank is having a pretty bad day as he's been accused of throwing Corky down a well. And, well, of course he did it because apparently his wife, Joyce, uh, cares more about the dog than Hank. And so as they're talking here, as Joyce is yelling at Hank, in his, he's trying to defend himself. He calls his wife Chicken. Apparently, his pet name for his wife is Chicken. An unusual term of endearment, I will say the least. Stacy and I are not married. That's our choice. But I do not call her Chicken. If I called her Chicken, she would probably throw me down a well. And she'd probably be right to do so. So, here comes Clark. He drives up next to the well where Corky is drowning. And checking out this story is definitely worth the best reporter in the city's time. But we don't know if he's there to cover the story or if he just happened to be driving by. Either one doesn't matter. But here's Clark coming out of the car and he takes off the driving gloves that we've never seen him use before. And I'm pretty sure we're never going to see him use them again. And of course he drops one and the camera beats us over the head telling us that this is important because we get a shot showing the glove on the grass as Clark goes off. And now here comes Superman going straight down into the ground. Hank is surprised that Superman digs through the ground and comes up the well. I'm kind of surprised too because I figured Superman would have just gone down the well. Going down through the ground and into the well that way seems like the long way. But I guess there are too many people in the way to jump down the well. So Superman comes up with Corky and obviously Corky is grateful. If you look closely at this shot here, you'll see that while Superman is wet, Corky is dry. And that's obviously because you know how wet dogs are as soon as they're wet, they shake and get everybody around them wet, which probably wouldn't be good for the cameras that happen to be nearby. Fun little fact there. Corky is looking the hell out of Superman's face, and he's enjoying it. And Joyce, meanwhile, is an ungrateful wench. Instead of thanking Superman for saving her dog, she just demands that he give him, give him to her, and unmoved by the fact that the dog is showing Superman his gratitude. Now, looking at this scene, I'm beginning to think Hank made a mistake. He should have thrown his wife down the well. She carries on while Superman and the locals just stand there and watch. Right in front of Superman. She's berating her husband. He just kind of shakes his head and then runs off. Obviously, it's a common thing in this show. Superman wants to run as far away from marriage as he possibly can. And of course, as Corky leaves, as Joyce and Hank leave with Corky, he grabs the glove off the ground. You know, the one Clark wore this time and this time only. So, viewers of the 1950s probably didn't notice that because they weren't binge-watching and the screens were smaller, I wonder if viewers in the 1950s noticed that Clark was wearing gloves for the first time ever. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. We find ourselves now back at Hank's house, the house he shares with his wife Joyce. This is where we meet Louis, his henchman, who might actually be dumber than Hank, which is pretty much an accomplishment. Now we learn how Hank got his job as head of the bookmaker syndicate. He married the head bookie's daughter, so he literally slept his way to the top. What Joyce sees in this moron, I don't know, but they're married. And Louis just figured out that Hank doesn't like the dog. Like I said, he's not too swift. Having failed to drown Quirky, Hank tries the next best thing and just lets him out. Bye-bye. So long. Farewell. The dog goes. And this scene pretty much ends with 
Hank being ordered to put ads in the paper. So as he leaves, there's a nice bit of physical comedy here as Hank slams the door, knocking what appears to be a collectible plate and a trophy off of the television. And then if you look closely at the furniture placement here, it's kind of interesting. There's a chair in front of the television and facing away from the TV. So if you sit in this chair, you're actually looking away from the TV, which kind of defeats the purpose of sitting there and watching television. But that's neither here nor there as Louis goes back to his yo-yo. This is where we learn that Corky is part bloodhound and he's roaming through Metropolis, apparently sniffing his way to the Daily Planet. Clark must have forgotten to shower today. So, Corky walks into the Daily Planet building and has somehow ridden the elevator to Clark's office. Did the dog push the button on the elevator? If those of you remember from the Night of Terror episode, Clark's office is on the 28th floor. So, I'm not sure how Corky did all of this. It made much more sense if he had taken the stairs or something. Again, so far we're noticing no Perry in this episode. And, and having watched this, Perry is not here at all. I posed this question just to kind of see what people said in the, the Adventure Continue Facebook group, and just to see if somebody might have had an idea of why there's no Perry White in this group of episodes. We last saw him in The Shot in the Dark, which was three or four episodes ago, and we're not going to see him again until the next episode, The Face and the Voice. Maybe John Hamilton wasn't feeling well that week or having time off, because what really stood out to me was the scene in The Ghost for Scotland Yard, where... Clark was talking on the phone to Lois in a scene that would have made more sense if he was talking to Perry. Quirky is making himself at home in Clark's office, and Clark is trying to show that he doesn't care about the dog, or at the very least trying to get rid of the dog and send it home. So as Quirky leaves, he grabbed the glove, putting two and two together, and apparently the dog went back out of the Daily Planet building on its own again. He must have ridden the elevator down. So Hank encounters Quirky, but this dog is making a fool of him, which really, when you th stop to think about it, really isn't too hard. Louis' role in this episode is probably to make very unfunny one-liners, at least at first, as when he says he's going to offer $5,000 to whoever brings home the right dog, he makes a comment that dogs are going up in value. Dogs may be increasing in value, but the quality of this episode is decreasing in value. So, Louis is going to call Clark about the dog, because he figures Clark is just going to write a story about it. Clark has nothing better to do with his time than write a story about a guy who lost his dog. But if you watch at Billy Nelson, who is playing the role of Louie here, look at how he's holding the phone. Not exactly near his ear. So I don't know how Louie is hearing anything right now. Knowing that the dog is suddenly worth $5,000 to somebody, he wants to know why the dog is so valuable. So Jimmy's going to go put him in a private kennel because nobody else can be trusted. Lois is concerned that Clark is frightened about something. And of course, we know it's because... Quirky recognizes him as Superman. Obviously, dogs can't speak, but they have a keen sense of smell. And I'm sure Quirky has recognized that Clark and Superman share a scent. So Louis spots Jimmy with the dog as he's leaving the planet. But as usual, he's slow on the uptake and doesn't realize it's Quirky until Jimmy has walked away, which is kind of hilarious. Meanwhile, in a scene that I guess is supposed to be funny, a bunch of Hank's men show up with a ton of different dogs. What did you guys do? Steal every mutt in town? And you... This is your third time around, and you ain't brung the right dog yet. Go on, beat it, all of you. It might have made sense if Hank gave his men a description of the dog as many of these dogs clearly are not quirky. So this plot is just going on and on and on. Louis happily reports that he got Clark Kent involved, and, well, Hank's not too happy about it. And Jimmy has now run afoul of Hank with a gun, so he gets himself caught and kidnapped and brought back to the house. And this is where they're going to hook Jimmy to a lie detector machine. This is a very long way around to find a dog. 
But Hank cleverly uses the lie detector and a phone book to find out when Jimmy was lying and figures out which kennel Jimmy sent Corky to. Hank says the dog is going to lead him to Superman because of the way Corky reacted to Superman when he pulled him out of the well. And he's going to find out Superman's secret identity and use it to keep Superman out of his syndicate. Hank's logic works despite, and what's really key here, is the glove. As they find the other glove that, that Corky pulled out of Clark's office. Now, if you remember back earlier in the episode, Hank and Joyce saw that Corky brought back the mate of the glove that he found in the yard there after Superman rescued him from the well. So, Hank is assuming that Corky traced the glove to Superman, whoever he might be in his other identity, and then when he found the glove, he traced it. The owner of the glove is also Superman. But, Hank doesn't know who owns the glove, and he never will. But they still need to go get the dog, so. Louie goes and gets the dog, and he's carrying him in a burlap sack, which doesn't seem very safe. Maybe poke a air hole or something. And now Louie goes to visit Clark without the dog. And he's a little too helpful telling Clark that Hank is going to use Corky to lead him to Superman. Louie has some con- is showing some conscience here, and although not enough of a conscience to not put Corky in a place where he might end up getting killed, as the city may put him down if somebody doesn't come to claim him. But Louie put Corky in the dog catcher's truck. All right, story done, episode over. But no, the same man who let Connie and Ace die is going to rescue the dog that is endangering his secret identity. The more I watch this episode, the more I'm convinced the dog is the smartest person in it, or smartest character in it. The dog is not really a person. Superman catches up with the dog catcher, points out that Corky has a license. He's also brown, in case you care. I actually don't think he is. In black and white, you would think the brown would come out a little bit darker than it does in this episode. Maybe he's a light brown. The dog catcher agrees to give Corky to Superman because, well, why wouldn't he? Then he opens the cage and out go the dogs. And instead of helping this poor dog catcher, Superman just stands there and laughs and comments to Corky about how much trouble he is. I'm sure the dog catcher who's running away trying to catch all these dogs is very amused at Superman's sense of humor. And Superman, meanwhile, could have saved himself, saved himself a whole bunch of trouble if he just left the dog where it was. Superman is not going to do that because he's Superman and he cares about these things. So now Jimmy is nowhere to be found and Clark is shown back up with Corky. And then Clark again leaves Lois with the dog and then Jimmy shows up to find them in Clark's office. And now, at the 20 minute mark, yes, with about 5 minutes to go in this episode, someone decided to check the license around the dog's neck. Almost, this episode is almost over. There are 5 minutes left and they're just thinking about doing this now. Why didn't Clark think of this from the start? And Lois is pointing out that Jimmy needs to be elected to the Genius of the Month Club? I'm nominating all the people in this episode to the Moron of the Month Club. Ugh. So, Lois is bringing Corky home. And Hank is doing an awful job at pretending he cares about seeing this dog again. And Corky growls a few times, proving he doesn't like Hank too much. With that being shown, Lois is noticing this and not buying Hank's story that he loves his dog in the slightest. I mean, we know it's not true, but... Again, Hank shows Lois how dummy is by asking how she knew where to bring him. Uh, collar? Come on. So, after Hank kicks Lois out, because he doesn't really want to give Lois $5,000 or tell a story about why he loves the dog so much, they go back toward the planet building, and Corky tries out some more of his bloodhound training. He sniffs out Clark, and barks at him, giving him the cue to run away, and change to Superman. Like I said, this dog is smarter than most of the people in the episode. Instead of finding Superman in his human disguise, and Hank finds Superman pretty much as Superman. And I'm not sure exactly why Superman decided to imply to Hank that he has a secret identity. <laughs> but Superman is quick to point out that Corky is the one who let him know that Hank was there. 
and warned him to change before noticing. <laughs> got so angry that he was going to punch the dog right in front of Superman. Doesn't seem like a smart way to play this. So Hank runs, and Quirky, like all good terriers, just bites on Hank's ankle, and Superman hangs him off a burglar alarm by his jacket collar. How that burglar box is supporting his weight, I don't know, but he's caught. Yay! And now the episode ends with Clark talking to Quirky. In a very well-framed shot, with Clark sitting in his chair and Quirky sitting on the desk. And Clark is talking directly to the dog. I'm sure as they're filming this scene, George Reeves is thinking about, about the choices he's made in his career and how they led him to this. This is a man who pretty much fancied himself as Clark Gable, not Clark Kent. And here he is acting opposite a dog. Talking to a dog as if it's going to answer him. Yeah. So Clark tells Corky that it's time for him to go home and he just open, lets Corky go. He leaves. Why Clark doesn't actually take Corky home or for, or for God's sake, have Lois do it. She knows where Corky lives, for God's sake. Oh, my Lord. Great Caesar's ghost. I can't do this episode anymore. Face in the voice next. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast and iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Alright, folks, welcome back. I am sufficiently calm right now. And we're going to move right ahead into The Face and the Voice. Original broadcast date was November 16th, 1953. This episode was written by Jackson Gillis, directed by George Blair. Guest cast, hilariously enough, includes George Reeves as Boulder. I wonder if he got paid extra for his double role. I, some, somehow I doubt it. Carlton G. Young as Fairchild. Percy Helton as Hamlet. George Chandler as Scratchy. William Newell as the grocery store clerk. Nolan Leary as the jewelry store guard. Sam Bolter as the radio announcer. I Stanford Jolly as the plastic surgeon. And Hayden Rourke as Tom. Now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Boulder was a broken-down thug until the mysterious Mr. Fairchild hired him. Well, I ain't gonna do it. But, Boulder, you just promised you would do it. Well, all right, so I changed my mind already. I don't ain't gonna hurt. Yeah, that's right. How, how do I know I ain't gonna hurt? $25,000. And don't be silly. You heard the doctor promise he wouldn't hurt you. Yeah, now, what if it don't work, though? I'm the guy who takes all the risks and I put in all the time. The doctor's gonna take knives and hurt me and everything. It's all yours, Boulder. Keep it. When we get ready for the big deal, I'll give you 10% of everything we get. You'll get millions. Gee, boss, how's your plan going to work? Come on, tell us about it. Be quiet, Scratchy. Mr. Fairchild, you just bought yourself a boy. Ain't much of a face anyway. I'll do it. Fairchild's nervous henchman, Scratchy, has just entered the Daily Planet building and has made cup reporter Jimmy Olsen believe that he's searching for editor Perry White. Scratchy's true objective is to steal a record from the chief's office. He brings it back to Fairchild as the plastic surgeon removes the bandages from Boulder's face. Hey, Boulder. Hiya, Scratchy boy. Hey, kick the doc, will you? Make him hurry up. The suspense is killing me. And your speech is killing me, Boulder. 
That comes next, you know. We're not ready for the big deal until we do something about that awful voice of yours. Eh, uh, you and your big deals. Dry up already. I've hired the best voice coach I could find. He's got real class, too. Even though he did spend a stretch in San Quentin. Will you shut up? Hurry up, Doc, will you? I want to hurry up and see my new kisser. What's the matter, Bowler? Haven't you any faith in plastic surgery? Oh, wait. I've got a T-shirt here for you. I'll get it. There you are. Hold this up in front of you. Gee. Dig me, will you? Just like Superman. How about that? Perry is angry because Jimmy isn't 100% sure that the man he saw last night broke into the chief's office. I just thought I'd mention it, chief. Well, then why didn't you take more notice of him? And don't call me chief. I don't even know if it's the right one. Well, then why bring it up at all? It's not that important. Oh, wait a minute. What's the matter? Somebody robbed my personal files last night, that's all. This young genius here says he knows who the thief was, but he doesn't know who it was. I see. Well, what was taken? Remember that speech Superman made last 4th of July? Mm -hmm. Well, somebody stole the recording of it, nothing else. That's peculiar. Jimmy, um, did you see someone that might have taken it? Oh, I don't even know if it's the right man, Mr. Kent. I couldn't even describe him. Just a funny little guy, that's all. Well, you let me know if you see him again. Yes, sir. If I do, why would anyone want a recording of Superman's voice? I don't get it. Neither do I, Junior, neither do I. Meanwhile, a voice, a voice coach named Hamlet is using the hero's voice to teach Boulder. Ladies and gentlemen of Metropolis. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh... No, 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 Boulder. Gentlemen, you're not being very cooperative. Eh. Come on now. Give me your vocal exercises. All right. Um, roll on our deep and dark blue ocean. Ah, that's Shakespeare. Around and round the rugged rocks, the ragged rascal ran. Now repeat it after me. You're kidding. No, repeat. Around and around the rugged rocks, the ragged rascal ran. I look like Superman. Why don't I sound like Superman? I look like Superman. Why don't I sound like Superman? I look like Superman. Why don't I sound like Superman? I look like Superman. Why don't I sound like Superman? I look like Superman. Why don't I sound That's it, like Boulder. Superman? It's coming along fine. I look like Superman. Ladies and gentlemen of Metropolis, good evening, Inspector Henderson. Madam, may I help you across the street? Young man, I would not play with those batches if I were you. Little lady, may I Never ask mind, you... Never mind, that's enough. Hamlet, you're a genius. You've done it. <laughs> yeah, dig that diction. My own brother wouldn't recognize me. I mean... Uh... Boulder, you embarrass me. <laughs> oh, that's all right, Boulder. You've done beautifully. And now I think it's finally time for the big deal. And all them millions, huh? No. First, we have to run a little test, just to get the ball rolling. Well, don't worry, boss. I'm ready for anything. I got the belt and the verse. There's one thing that bothers me, though, about them bullets that are supposed to bounce off me. Uh, don't give it another thought, Boulder. I've got that figured out, too. I should hope so. There's even a bulletproof vest in the costume to make it look as though Boulder is invulnerable. Fairchild intends to make millions in Metropolis while discrediting the Man of Steel. With Boulder properly trained, Fairchild can now begin to test if his man can pass himself off as Superman. Superman? Yes, 
May I have all your money, please? What? Yeah, I mean, yes. I must have all the money in your cash register. Well, sure, if you need it. Only, could you give me a receipt? I mean, Thank you. I know you'll bring it back, only... Superman. Holy cow. But he does not see Superman fly away. Superman turned super crook. Rob store of $165. Oh, Chief, it just can't be true. It must be a hoax of some kind. It must be some new type of publicity. Jeepers, you don't think Superman would actually go out and steal from somebody? Of course I know it's not true, but look, every paper in town has published it except us. And where there's smoke, there's some kind of fire. Well, I'm going down and talk to that clerk myself. I think he just made it up. I bet he stole that money himself. Well, what are you waiting for? I want to print the truth. All right. But you say you didn't see him fly. That's right, Mr. Kent. I didn't see him fly, but it was Superman. I recognized his face and his voice, and he had muscles, and I was standing here, and he came in and demanded the money. Naturally, I gave it to him. I see. Thank you very much. What'd you find out, Mr. Kent? Well, I talked to the man, I talked to his wife. In fact, I talked to everybody. It happened all right. He was there. I don't understand it. But there's one thing that bothers me. He didn't see Superman fly. He saw him walk away with the money. Then that guy last night must have been a fake. I know he was a fake. Probably some small-time crook that was using a costume instead of a gun. I found something interesting right here on the society column of her own paper. Hmm? Look, read where I marked it. Oh, yeah. That is interesting, Jimmy. Allied Women's Charities also announced the receipt of $165 from an anonymous donor this morning. That was the same amount that was taken from the store. Yes, sir. Maybe a coincidence. But if it's not, that makes it all the more confusing. What do you mean? Well, to rob a place and then give the money to charity, why would a crook do that? Sounds more to me like the real Superman might have. Oh, just a minute, Jimmy. That's ridiculous. I happen to know that Superman was home in bed last night. Superman has been seen taking gold and gems from a jewelry store. The security guard shot at him as he ran down a darkened alley. The bullet nicked him, and Boulder is now at a getaway car meeting Scratchy, who, with camera in hand, is acting as a witness to the crime. Boulder drives back to Fairchild, eager to quit this dangerous impersonation of Superman. Well, as quick as that, huh? Yeah, as quick as that, huh? Look here, where I stopped the slug in the back. Well, I got news for you, ain't no Superman, and it hurts. Didn't that bulletproof vest I No, know? it did not. Furthermore, suppose somebody should slip me a slug in the head. I got news for you. As of now, I am resigning. I've had enough. Nobody's going to shoot at you again, Boulder. You and your big fat ideas. I mean it. We'll arrange it so they won't. Here, let me see those. Oh, no. There's rocks here that worth over a thousand claims. Boulder, you're giving it all to charity again. Ha! That's the next step. You'll see how well it all works out tomorrow. I just told you, I am true. Of course. And you wouldn't be interested that tomorrow the Metropolis Reserve Bank is handling a gold bullion shipment worth uh, $2 million. No, I would not. Did you say $2 million? And I promise you, you don't have to give a nickel to charity. Well, in that case, boss, I am very sorry. Here, $2 million. You know, boss, there's just one thing that worries me. It's about this Superman, the real one, I mean, there. You know, he's not a punk like me. He's a very tough character, and I'm worried about what he might decide to do about all this. Who knows? However, I think we put him in a spot where he'll be pretty busy with his own problems. 
In fact, I think the real Superman will soon be convinced that he's going crazy. <laughs> News of Superman's jewelry store robbery is all over Metropolis. Clark believes that he is committing these crimes while he is asleep, or that he is losing his grip on reality. In the meantime, Jimmy is interviewing an eyewitness to Superman's crime. Yeah, buddy? Hello. I'm a reporter for the Daily Planet. I came to interview you about that... Uh, oh, don't... say no more, Sonny. Don't I know you? I was the eyewitness, see? You want to hear the story, huh? Well, by trade, I'm a street photographer, see? And last night, it just so happens I'm over near that jewelry store and... Uh... Phonograph record. Huh? Oh, never mind. Go on. Well, do you want to hear this story or not? Everybody else in town does. Yeah, sure I do. Okay. Well, I was over by the... Hey, just a minute. You're that kid I saw. Scratchy now believes the Fairchild scheme is at risk. He has captured Jimmy in order to eliminate him. Boulder, in his Superman guise, is in Perry White's office telling the editor that the stolen jewelry is to be given to a local charity for the homeless. Now, you're certain you understand, Mr. White? Yes, I understand. I'm to give them to the Metropolis Charity for the Homeless. And you're not to worry. Everything will go to charity. Yes, I'll, I'll print just what you said. Goodbye, Mr. White. Wait a minute, Superman. You know, this doesn't seem like you. It doesn't sound like you. What do you mean? Now, don't take offense, but the idea of you playing Robin Hood, stealing from one person, giving to another. Are you insinuating that everything I borrow will not be given to charity? No, of course not. Of course not. But don't you see how wrong that is? You've always worked with the police upheld law and order. You've never taken anything from anyone, but... Well, you should hear what people are saying about you now. Listen to me, please, Superman. You haven't considered what the consequences will be. Mr. White, have you ever considered what the consequences would be if I were to get angry at Metropolis? As a result of this outburst, even Perry White is convinced that Superman has lost his mind. Tom, a doctor who is a friend of Clark Kent, has taken a lot of time to make the mild-mannered reporter believe that he is not insane. It's perfectly ridiculous, Clark. You're as healthy as, well, as Superman. That's not funny, Tom. No, no, don't be touchy. All I meant is that you're in great shape. I wish I was half as sure of it as you seem to be. Look, I'm a doctor, right? Right. And I'm also a very good friend of yours, correct? Of course you're a good friend of mine, Tom. Otherwise, I wouldn't have come here in the first place. Well, that's exactly the point. I'm your doctor and your friend, and yet you won't take my word for it that nothing on Earth is the matter with you. Nothing on Earth. <laughs> Tom, is it possible I mean, do you think something could have affected my mind? Your mind? <laughs> Not a chance. Why, your reflexes are magnificent. You've got a superb mind. Yes, but is it possible? I mean, could I have done something without knowing that I'd done it? What sort of thing? Well, like stealing, for instance. Clark, what are you talking about? You know you're not capable of doing such thing. But what I'm trying to say is, suppose, for example, I went to sleep. And then I, I walked in my sleep, and I awoke without knowing anything about it. Well, I think it's very unlikely that you would do anything walking in your sleep that you wouldn't do under ordinary circumstances. But it is possible, isn't it? Well, it's possible, but... Look, Clark, why don't you take a vacation? Maybe you've been working too hard. So there is something wrong with me. Well, why didn't you tell me about it? Now, wait a minute. I still say... There's nothing wrong with you physically or mentally, except that, well, you've got some crazy idea that... Crazy idea? I heard you say that, Doc. <sighs> All right, so I use the wrong word. What I mean is you're talking yourself into a condition that just doesn't exist. I hope so. I sincerely hope so. And thanks, Doc, for putting up with me. Later, Clark enters Perry's office as the mayor leaves. 
Chief, what's going on? I just passed the mayor out in the hall. Kent, there's nothing we can do. Any of us. We've issued orders not to arrest him or cross him in any way. Who? Who are you talking about? Superman, of oh, course. Oh, come on. Kent, it's horrible. He's losing his mind. That's the only explanation. Chief, you know that's not possible. Kent, don't talk nonsense. Can you prove he's not crazy? Are you Superman? But, Chief, you know him. How could you believe such a thing? Because I saw him here with my own eyes not a half an hour ago. That's all. Kent, where are you going? Never mind. I've wasted too much time already. As Boulder steals the gold and Hamlet acts as a witness, Superman is trying to convince Metropolis Inspector Bill Henderson that there is someone impersonating him. Look, Inspector. Superman? Well, this is a pleasant surprise. I'm not going to bite you. We've got work to do, and fast. Of course you wouldn't bite anyone. Now just sit down and relax. Look, sir, you don't seem to understand. I'm the real Superman. Here, look. Convince you? Of course you're the real Superman. I'd lock anybody up that said different. And I've always admired you, too. Bill, there's a crook loose in this city. He looks exactly like me. There's a phonograph record of my voice still, and there may even be plastic work done or not. Now, right? please hold it, will you? There's nothing to get excited about. This may be building up to some huge crime. Now, 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 we know all about it. Now, Perry White talked to you. I've known him for years. I believe him. We have some very nice doctors Look, coming Bill, to see you. Look, Bill, we've been pals for years. I'd hate to use you for a volleyball in your own office, but... Anderson. What? He was... No. I mean, yes. Right away. The Metropolis Bank. Two million dollars in gold bullion was just... And they just stood there because it was Superman. Ah. I mean, it was... Holy cow. You see what I mean? Hamlet's fainting when he sees Superman also decides it for Henderson. Fairchild, with a bound and gag Jimmy as a captive, is waiting for Boulder to arrive with the gold. Boulder drives the armored car to his boss so they can transfer the stolen riches to their vehicle. After Boulder gets in the back of the truck to guard Jimmy, Superman lands in front of Fairchild, who believes that our hero is Boulder. Boulder, I told you to stay in the back. Keep an eye on the boy. You're dead. I didn't think we'd get rid of him until we get across the border. It's just a short ways. So you're the big boss. You're not complaining, are you, Boulder? We've left Scratchy and Hamlet behind, so maybe we'll forget to send them their share, too, huh? You seem to have things pretty well worked out, don't you? What's the matter, Boulder? You afraid I'm gonna give you the shake, too? Well, you're right. And this looks like as good a place as any. You've always been worried about somebody missing that steel vest of yours, haven't you? Well, here's one for that phony face of yours, Boulder. The real one! No! Superman then uses his super breath to put out the flames. He rips open the doors and tackles the escaping Boulder. With Jimmy now safe, Superman's name can be cleared of any wrongdoing. Now Clark Kent, Jimmy Olsen, and Inspector Henderson are in Mercy General Hospital, where Boulder is waiting for a plastic surgeon. Go on, get out of here, will you? Leave me alone. <laughs> oh, no. You'll have policemen around you for quite some time. Also around Fairchild and the rest of your gang. Yeah, I should have known. I seen prison walls the minute I took this job. Say, Inspector, do me a favor, will you? What is it? Well, will you get me a doc and tell them to make with the plastic surgery? Only this time I want my own face back. I was happy with that. I was living with it. Be glad to. Yeah, I should have known. Takes more than a face and a voice. There's only one real Superman. He can say that again. Right, Mr. Kent? Right, Mr. Olson. For as much as I hate the dog who knew Superman, I love this episode. This episode is in my top five. It's not at the level of others like Panic in the Sky, Crime Wave, and The Stolen Costume, but it's right in that next tier of great episodes. I've had this episode 
in my possession since I was a kid. It was on volume four of the TV's Best Adventures of Superman. It was paired up with Jimmy the Kid, which is another episode with a theme of a double. And it also had on it the Fleischer cartoon, or really the Famous Studios animated short, Showdown, which had a very, very similar plotline with a Superman impersonator committing crimes. This episode was also honored by TV Land on June 11th of 2005, when it chose this episode to represent the adventures of Superman during its Warner Brothers 50th Anniversary Marathon, which celebrated the 50th anniversary of the studio's TV division. However, this episode was made 53 years earlier, and having been made by another studio and later acquired by Warner Brothers, it is still a worthy representative of the adventures of Superman. So, analysis. The episode opens with a shot of a very miserable-looking man, a very ugly-looking man, sitting in a chair, ugly and gray, and whatever it is, he's not going to do it. It gets you right into the episode as you wonder what it is. And believe it or not, underneath all that bolder-faced makeup is George Reeves. Didn't recognize him at first, did you? Maybe you did on your high-def flat-screen TV, but between the makeup job and the different voice, I wonder if viewers in the 1950s recognized that this was the same actor who portrays Superman. I certainly could not blame them if they didn't. As a child, I, di I didn't recognize that this was George Reeves. And he's going to do the job for $25,000. Now, on the DVD, you get a good look at Boulder's face. You know, better than you would on something that hasn't been cleaned up and restored. He's more scarred than George Reeves. His nose is made to be a little bigger, even if some of the prosthetics around his nose is a little sloppy. But, like I said, on a smaller screen, you're probably not thinking this is George Reeves right off the bat. Knowing the show now as I do, you can definitely see some of the mannerisms in Boulder and the way he's talking and nodding his head when he talks. Yeah, he's got the same mannerisms as George Reeves. So, Scratchy is there, and he doesn't even know what the plan is, and Fairchild is playing this very close to the vest. Nobody seems to know what the plan is. And we don't know what the plan is. I mean, you wouldn't suspect early on that this ugly man is going to impersonate Superman, would you? And, you know, just thinking of this episode, George Reeves must have had a lot of fun with this episode. And even last week, Bob said that Noel Neal said that this was one of George Reeves' favorite episodes. And I can definitely see why. He gets to stretch his legs a little bit. Not only is he playing Superman, but he's also playing a villain, which is something he didn't get to do. So I can definitely see where, for an actor of George Reeves' ability, that this episode had a lot of appeal. Being that it had a lot of appeal for him in his performance, it has a lot of appeal for the viewers. So, this is a great episode all around. One of the best. So, eventually, Boulder is going to do it. <laughs> like I said, we still don't know what it is, but he's going to do it. And now, we Scratchy is over at the Daily Planet building where he runs into Jimmy. Perry's gone home for the night, and Scratchy convinces Jimmy that it is okay for Scratchy to wait for Perry. Let me repeat that. Jimmy is going to let Scratchy stay there and wait for Perry until he gets back. Jimmy even says that he thinks Perry has gone home. It is quite possible that, that Jimmy is going to let Scratchy stay there all night. So Jimmy buys that load of bull, and, as he always does, and after Jimmy walks in and walks away and Scratchy walks into Perry's office, Scratchy goes through Perry's office and grabs a record. We don't know why. We don't know why this record is important or why Perry is really keeping this record so poorly. It's kind of thrown in a drawer underneath some stuff, and so it doesn't seem as though Perry cares very much about this thing. So... Scratchy goes back to Fairchild's house, where we see Boulder underneath some bandages. He's getting some plastic work done on him. Scratchy's cut off before he can say who made the speech on the record. And now they have to fix Boulder's voice. So not only is this man ugly, but he also has an awful voice. And he has an appointment with a voice coach that apparently did some time at San Quentin. I can only wonder what a voice coach has done. 
to end up there. So, the bandages come off, and Boulder looks like George Reeves. And therefore, looks like Superman. And suddenly, Boulder, as he holds up a Superman costume in front of his mirror, he is quite pleased with himself. Now, the plot is starting to become clear. Boulder is going to impersonate Superman. So here's Perry for the first time in a couple of episodes, and despite how haphazardly Perry kept the aforementioned uh, record, he knew it was missing, so apparently he knew it was there. But it's not that important, even though he's yelling at Jimmy about it. I think Perry here is more angry that Jimmy is not sure who the thief was than he actually is about the record being missing. That's where Perry confirms that the record is a speech by Superman. Now you put two and two together, Boulder already has Superman's face, and now he's going to need Superman's voice. The face and the voice. Boulder, meanwhile, is not taking his voice lesson very seriously. And he's having some trouble, and he's even trying to use a metronome, trying to kind of hypnotize himself, it looks like, into sounding like Superman. And I love this shot of Fairchild, who is kind of tapping his glasses along with the beat, and gets really annoyed when he notices that he's doing it. And eventually, Boulder gets it. I wonder how long this took, but before... We get to the next scene. I want to mention that I always kind of wonder, whenever I watch this episode on the DVD, I'm always surprised about how long the voice lesson scene is. Because I always remember on my videotape of this episode, it went straight from the scene where Boulder is unable to replicate the uh, the speech by Superman, and then it goes straight to when he mastered it. The whole voice lesson was cut out of the VHS version. But I'm glad to see that it's put back here. It adds a little something. It's not necessary to the episode story, but it shows that A, Boulder is having trouble getting himself to sound like Superman, and B, it shows that he's not really taking sounding like Superman very seriously. But, like I said, eventually he gets it. And after all of this, now Boulder is suddenly worried about whether he should be bulletproof. And apparently Fairchild has a plan for that too. But Boulder, I might have asked about that a little sooner than now. So, here's Boulder robbing a store. He has a momentary lapse when he asks for the money, and he says, yeah. Then he says, I mean, yes. So he, But other than that, he asks for the money, and the clerk gives it to him because he's Superman. Why wouldn't you give Superman all the money in your cash register? You would. I mean, for two reasons. One, you'd give it to him because he's Superman, and if he asks for it, he probably needs it. And secondly, I'm not sure you'd want to be the person who has to find out what Superman would do to you if you don't give in to his demands. The shopkeeper certainly didn't want to be that person, and... He's giving up the money. So when we hear about this, Clark is angry. He knows it's not true, and he's determined to prove it. And when he gets back from talking to the clerk, the fact that Superman didn't fly bothers him. And obviously Clark knows he was a fake because he wasn't robbing the store. But Jimmy shows Clark a little thing in the planet about a charity of some kind, receiving a donation equal to the amount of money that was taken from the store. And that convinces Jimmy that maybe Superman could be behind this. And Clark lets out this interesting bit about knowing Superman was home in bed last night, but this is not followed up on. Interestingly enough, very few people mention the phonograph record after the record is stolen early in the episode. I mean, someone like Perry, you would think, would put two and two together right away that, wait, a phonograph record of Superman's voice was stolen, and now Superman is stealing from stores. You would think at some point Perry would have put these two together and realized that something was rotten in Denmark or Metropolis. But nope, nobody put those two pieces together. So, now we move on to a jewelry store as Boulder comes in, takes some jewels right in front of the guard, very brazenly. And the security guard takes a shot at Boulder, and as he's running away, you see him grab his back. Now, obviously, the bullet didn't harm him enough to slow him down, but it's clear that when he went back to Fairchild, that it hurt. And at this point, you know, Boulder's ready to quit because he got shot at, and, you know, I can't say that I blame him. 
he's worried about what will happen if he gets shot in the head, which is a reasonable concern. If they don't, if they get, they get him there, it's over. He's not Superman. His head is not going to deflect any bullets. But Fairchild just tells Boulder they'll arrange it so no one shoots at him again. <sighs> I'm not sure how he can guarantee that, but he's trying. He's trying to convince Boulder that it's not going to happen. Well, so Boulder quits. Of course, until he hears that the next payout is for $2 million with none of it going to charity. Then he's all about it again. $2 million is worth risking a bullet in your head. Now, for the first time, Boulder is starting to get worried about Superman, the real one. But in a bit of foreshadowing here, Fairchild puts forth the notion that, you know, Superman might think that he's going crazy because of what's going on. And and obviously the next person we see is Clark listening to a news report. He's about to turn into Superman when Jimmy shows up with an article about a guy saying he saw Superman fly. Jimmy hands Clark a newspaper and Clark sees something in the picture that's bothering him. Now, we don't get a very good look at the newspaper that Clark's looking at, but obviously it shows Superman flying because it's enough to convince Clark that he was there, even though he knows that he wasn't. But I would give to have actually seen that picture. Jimmy goes to the apartment of the photographer, and it's scratchy. Jimmy recognizes him, but at first doesn't know where he's seen him, and then he puts it together. The phonograph record. Scratchy doesn't put it together quite as quickly, but then he does. Jimmy tries to run. Uh, but as usual, Jimmy doesn't get very far. He trips over his own feet and gets pistol whipped for his trouble. And here is Boulder talking to Perry White in the next scene. We obviously know it's Boulder because he has the jewels. And Perry, in a nice scene, is trying to plead with him to stop this course of action. And, you know, understandable, Perry has always been a supporter of Superman. And he can tell he knows that the wheel is going to turn on the Man of Steel if he keeps up this behavior. But obviously, who he thinks is Superman says, no, it, things are going to, going to continue. And... Superman, I'll put that in quote marks, wants Perry to donate the jewels to charity. When Perry tries to talk him out of his course of action, Boulder threatens him, saying, well, did he imagine what the consequences would be if Superman got angry at Metropolis? Well, that will kind of put you out a little bit, and, you know, that's, I guess, when they decide they'll kind of leave Superman alone. I mean, they got the police in the city, have nothing that can stop them. Clark, meanwhile, is at his doctor's office. This is Tom. I'm not sure what kind of doctor he is, but He's a doctor. Clark is clearly worried. He's questioning his own sanity because of what's going on. He's worried that he may be committing all these crimes in his sleep, so naturally he asks Tom about sleepwalking. Clark is so worried that something is up that he's jumping on every word that could indicate something is wrong. At one point, Tom will suggest that Clark take a vacation because maybe he's working too hard. Clark jumps up, you know, almost crazily and demands to know why he didn't tell about what was wrong with him. And then Tom doesn't help by saying that Clark has some crazy ideas. That gets Clark's blood pressure up, too. So, But I like that every time the doctor says the wrong thing, he's able to backtrack out of it and calm Clark down again. Obviously, this speaks very well of Clark's character that he's worried about this, but someone who's insane, at least I don't think, will be out there questioning his sanity. I think that the very nature that Clark is questioning his sanity proves he's sane and is very concerned about what's going on. Clark goes back to Perry, who is distraught over Superman, but Clark is still defending, but Perry was won over by Boulder's act, or at the very least, frightened by it. And this is what spurs Clark into action, or at the very least, Superman into action. Oh, but bear in mind, though, when he runs out to the storeroom, leaves Perry's office no hat, he's got his hat when he goes to the storeroom. And then out goes Superman, and then he lands into one of my favorite scenes in this series. Superman arrives at Henderson office, at Henderson's office. He comes in the door, goes right at Henderson and says, hey, we got work to do and fast. Henderson gets up and he and Superman kind of engage in a game of ring around the inspector's desk as Superman chases Henderson in a circle around the desk at least twice. 
maybe even three times. He picks something up off the desk, bends it. Hey, you convince him, Superman? And Henderson is clearly on the defensive here. And at first, it seems as though he doesn't know what's going on. But then later in the scene, he shows that he does. At first, I'm watching this. I'm like, oh, right, he really doesn't know what's going on? And then he alludes to the conversation that Superman had with Perry White. So he does know something is going on. So George Reeves is doing a great job here of not only portraying, obviously, the criminal boulder, but portraying Clark and, by extension, Superman's anxiety about the situation. When Superman is talking to Henderson here, he's looking like he's about to have a serious meltdown until Henderson can calm him down. And I love the reaction Superman has when Henderson gets the call about the bank robbery, about the gold robbery, and finds out that Superman is behind it. He's just like, ha! You know, like the cat that swallowed the canary. Off they go. And Henderson is at the bank questioning Hamlet, the uh, voice coach, and he's embellishing on a story about Superman's escape, saying Superman picked up the truck and went up, up, and up until Superman showed up right behind him. And then he faints. Now, you can tell this story isn't true just by looking at the body language of the extras behind Hamlet. They're all looking at each other and wondering what this guy is talking about. You know, it would have been nice if someone spoke up. You know, I said, no, this is not how it went down. But these actors weren't paid to speak. They were just paid to stand there and look confused by Hamlet's storytelling. And they did a very good job at that. Um, one question I have here. Superman shows up after Henderson. I don't know how long it took Henderson to get to this bank, but where was Superman while Henderson was on his way? How did Henderson get there first? All questions that we will not get answered. So, here's Boulder with the gold. We're going to see that gold bars are heavy. And they have to hide Boulder in the back of the truck. I mean, not only does Boulder need to guard Jimmy, but I'm assuming Fairchild can't really be seen driving down the road with Superman in his passenger seat. So Boulder's got to stay out of sight. And this is when Superman shows up and confronts Fairchild. And Fairchild thinks this is Boulder, and Superman plays along. And he doesn't realize that this is Superman until the bullet bounces off his face. And Superman just smiles when the bullet bounces off, and Fairchild freaks out. When he realizes this is the real Superman, he tries to run away and hilariously impales himself on a big rock and just falls over. And I love how Superman just looks down at him, a little bemused, probably thinking this guy's an idiot. Well, I'm sure he's thinking that now that the guy is unconscious. He wasn't thinking about that before, that, before, that's for sure. But Superman has work to do, and he gets right to it. He blows out the fire in one of the very few appearances of Super Breath in this series. I'm not sure if there are any more, but I don't want to say that this is the only one, and be wrong when I see it again, so for now we'll say that it's one of the few appearances of Super Breath in this series. So, when Superman pulled the doors off the truck, interestingly enough, Boulder was on the other side of Jimmy. It looked like he was laying down taking a nap. And now, as Superman is taking Jimmy out of the truck here, look closely at Boulder. It's quick, but the fact that this is the stuntman is always noticeable. And Superman saves Jimmy, and then a nice shot takes Boulder down from behind and stands over him, posing triumphantly. You can never go wrong with George Reeves' Superman standing over a fallen opponent. And then we fade to the hospital. And we learn the moral of the story. There's more than a face and a voice. There's only one real Superman. And for those of you who would love to know how they did this shot at the end, because that's George Reeves lying in the bed, talking to Henderson. And then the cameras turn really quick. And that's George Reeves as Clark standing with Jimmy. Not even the great George Reeves can be in two places on the set at once. Obviously, the bed portion and the Clark portion are filmed separately. Watch the camera rotation. I had to watch this a couple times before I got it. As the camera is going from Boulder to Clark, there's a cut. If you don't see it the first time, you're going to keep looking. Watch it a couple times until you see it. The shot gets a little choppy at the window. There's the cut from Boulder, from the Boulder shot to the Clark shot. Little fun technique there. Probably the best way they could have done it in, the in 1953. This is the first time I actually noticed how it was done, only because I was looking for it. But this is such a great episode. Like I said, this is one of my favorites. It is in the 
my top five, and I had a great time talking about this episode. And we're going to have some even more Season 2 greatness next week as Bob Fisher is going to return to the show, and we're going to talk about The Man in the Lead Mask, which is in itself a good episode. And then we could be covering what could perhaps be the single greatest episode of The Adventures of Superman, Panic in the Sky. So... If you have any thoughts on these episodes that I've just covered, you can email me at manofscreen at gmail.com. You can join the Facebook group by going to Facebook and putting the Man of Screen podcast into your search feed. That should bring it right up. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And if you're so inclined, you can leave me a review on iTunes and Stitcher. So, until next time, folks, remember, it takes more than a face and a voice. There's only one real Superman. Thanks for listening, folks. Take care. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all the opinions on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show or for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.